0: Yeah, the first time we actually tried our sweets, it was, uh, it was amazing, just like, the flavours were just sharper, they were just tastier, they're just amazing. I'm Imran Mirza. I'm 37 years old, and I'm from Tooting. I'm co-founder and candy magician of Jealous Sweets. I was born in Wolverhampton in the Midlands and I had a very normal sort of upbringing, nothing too exciting. But I had this fascination of wanting to move to London. Um, I just had this desire to go to the big city and I chose to go and work in London at 15 years old. I was there for two weeks and I absolutely loved it. It was only working in a garments company that one of my cousins, family members owned or something and I came came for that and I remember walking around because it was near brickley and the city wasn't too far so during lunch times I'd walk over to the square mile and just look at the big city sort of like bankers and the buildings and I was just like fascinated by that so once I finished my a levels I decided I didn't want to go to university I just wanted to move to London straight away because um being brought up by Asian parents, a very sort of like command and control kind of way of upbringing, and I'm so anti that I'm like, you need to live your own life. And Asian parents generally want to tell you what to do. And so I thought, right, I need to get out of out of um, out of Wolverhampton. So I got myself a job in London working for British Gas, and told my parents, and they were like, yeah, right, you're not really moving, and and I was only seventeen, and. I got the job, and they were like, wow, he's actually moving, and then my, um, my parents drove me down, found myself a little bedroom, bed sit kind of thing, um, and my parents dropped me off, I remember my dad telling me that my mum cried all the way back home, and I remember the first time, it was weird being in London, not having to do anything for yourself all my life. Having to feed myself, it was just like, whoa, how do I do this? This is way before you, like, so I didn't decide to go to uni initially. You don't have your peers around you to sort of, like, where you do things together. It's just me in this room um, having to go to the supermarket and buy things and try and figure out how to eat, which was um, an experience. But then one of my friends moved to university in Kingston. And so whilst I was working... I left my job at British Gas, got a better job with General Electric, doing insurance. Um, He came down and I spent some time with him at university and thought, this is great, actually I want to go to university, so then I redid my A-levels because I flunked them initially and then got into university and decided to do financial economics because I was like, right, okay, I'm going to do a degree and then I want to go into the city, that's what I really want to do. I... I struggled initially with um, university because I didn't really find it that interesting I found the whole investment banking scene interesting but the actual degree was a bit too technical, very mathematical and although I sort of was okay with it, um, I didn't really apply myself, I was more interested in working and during the summer times I'd get jobs in the city um, whilst everyone else was on holiday I would do that and it helped with like Funding myself for university, but then also getting the experience So when I did finish university, I had somewhere to go. Um, And that was probably a good move. My first job in the city was with Merrill Lynch. And um, I remember originally, I wrote, this was way before the internet, um, and emails and stuff. I remember writing out, I think it was 80 different letters... Um, individually writing them out and then posting them to people asking for a job and I think I've declined 80 times as well And but then luckily I got talking to a recruitment consultant who managed to get me a job at Merrill Lynch and it was working on the the equity sales desk it was so exciting because it felt like I think investment banking at the time or trading anyway it wasn't mainstream like it is now because you had a lot of um, East End, Essex kind of type of characters working in the city. Majority of them, um, the trading side especially, in the corporate finance and the legal side of stuff. You had a lot more sort of Oxford, Cambridge type of guys. But generally, it was it wasn't as sexy as it is now. Um, in the last decade or fifteen years or so, it's changed so much. Where now you need to be at one of the top ten universities at least to actually get your foot in the door. Whereas then people from Essex and Baraboy-esque kind of um, through their connections and stuff and their brothers and siblings used to get in. So it was a very, very different culture to the way it is now. And I find it, find it really interesting. The people I worked with were interesting um, and it was really high paced. Lots of money, which was interesting, especially when you were so young. Um, you get paid a silly amount of money to do what you were doing. And then it was Lots of partying and fun and just messing around. And when you're young, you don't have any... Especially coming from an Asian sort of parent background where you can't really um, mess around and stuff. It was it was um, exciting to not have anyone sort of telling me what to do. Um, yeah, I got a bit carried away, I'd say. After I finished university, I started at williams DeBro, which was a UK stockbroker. That was fun. That was interesting. Um, but then I think at the time I didn't realise but now I look back and I realise that I was just a square peg trying to fit myself in a round hole and I wasn't really built for investment banking Um, it's very cutthroat very aggressive I think a lot of people sell their soul to the the devil Um, there's no sort of real collaboration it's all about everyone sort of going after each other and backbiting and backstabbing sorry and yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't fun, and I just found myself ostracized in this um, in this environment. Um, I just kind of the thing that kept me going was the fact that I was good at socializing and playing along and doing the going out in the evenings with everyone and being part of the team. And just, I suppose just being a nice guy helped. Um, whereas a lot of the people at the top were very aggressive and. I kind of realized, probably four or five years into it, that I need to do something else. This is not for me. I remember looking at the career choices, and I thought, lawyers, a bit boring, accountants, um, boring as well. And you look at other creative stuff, and you think, the pay's not good. So it was like, okay everything kept sort of making me stay in banking. But what I did instead was I'd get made redundant or I'd get fired or I'd just leave, make a bit of money. That was a s- sort of cycle that I kept going through, which um, which I suppose gave me the, I suppose the confidence that security is in the mind as opposed to this external thing. Because being an entrepreneur, you don't have any security. I think a lot of people think having a stable job, money coming in every month, gives them stability and I think because I didn't really have that because I'd kept jumping in and out of jobs my journey now is actually it's helped me I think a lot of the things that have happened during the investment banking years have helped me in terms of confidence um, ability to think big to work with super smart people and not feel like oh i intimidated by people who maybe are good with numbers and things like that or are smart or come from like uh, Polish backgrounds or Oxford, Cambridge type firm people. That doesn't bother me because I've worked with in that environment. I've worked with my previous job, my last job before I started Jealous, with um, ex-NASA scientists who actually built our algorithms to help us trade. So I've worked with in that, and I think because of all of those experiences over the last 10, 12 years of working in the city, when I started Jealous, I wasn't worried about any of that. It wasn't scary, it was just like, it is what it is, just get on with it. When, recently, when I was thinking, in the last year or so, I've been thinking, where did this sort of gene come from, like, or where did this desire to become an entrepreneur come from? And I think growing with the 80s, uh, TV was quite a big thing, I suppose. Um, you saw Richard Branson on the TV a lot, um, and I think subconsciously that must have filtered through, just looking at that kind of, um, on the TV a lot, he was in the media a lot, and then Alan Sugar as well. It must have been there from a young age, um, just watching those guys, and I think I like creativity, I like building things, I like coming with ideas, and I think with entrepreneurship is about coming up with an idea um, and then trying to bring it to life. So I thought lots of different ideas, and I've got like a a notebook with lots of different ideas of what I could do. And then it all kind of really started when I was dating someone who who loved sweets. And, um, and I was trying to impress her at the start of the relationship by buying sweets that she could eat, but a lot of the sweets that she liked had gelatine in them. And gelatine is something that vegetarians don't eat. But back then, there wasn't this transparency of, what goes into your food and how important it is. And it's changed massively over the last couple of years or so, especially with the social media and the, um, Instagram and a lot of the healthier sort of bloggers and Instagram people coming out. Um, whereas when I first started, there was none of that. So yeah, I remember trying to find stuff that she could eat because at the time Woolworths was around, so they used to have their big pick-and-mix and would and go in there and I'd eat the stuff, but she wouldn't eat it. And um, I felt bad and just so trying to impress her at the start of a relationship and trying to be this like wooing her, being the good boyfriend kind of thing. Um, I remember spending time online trying to find stuff that I could give to her and I just struggled, I couldn't find anything. And then when I did find stuff in obscure sort of health shops, it was disgusting and not very nice. And I thought, and I was also following Innocent at the time, the smoothie company. I suppose the way they spoke to their consumers was very different, whereas prior to Innocent coming into the market, brands had this very sort of like we're big business kind of attitude, and the way they spoke to their consumers was like they weren't grateful for what they did. The way Innocent spoke to them was you're our consumer and without you we would not be here. So it changed the way um, they spoke to their consumers and valued them. I was watching that and then also Goo was around at the time as well. And then I stumbled across a report in the British library on um, the confectionery market. I was like fascinated by like the size of the market It's worth billions and it was big players like Mars, Cadbury's and I was like why isn't anyone doing this in 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 confectionery? It's all these big big players and and then I just thought actually I can do something here. But I was still working in the city and it wasn't something that I just, I thought, right, I'm going to do this right now. It sort of like percolated for, for years, just I'd do a bit of research. I spent a lot of time in the British Library looking at the Mintel reports and the sort of like Euro Monitor reports on the confection market and just learning as much as I could because I didn't know anything about the market. And the more I spent time in it, the more I realised, actually, this is something, there's something here. So I used to go to New York quite a lot. I love New York came across Ralph Lauren's daughter's sweet shop called Dylan's Candy Bar. And it was basically like a Willy Wonka shop in New York and it was amazing. And that gave me the validation that there's something must be going on because in the US there's always, generally the trendsetters, so whatever happens over there generally comes back over to the UK. And so that gave me the confidence that actually if there's something going on there now, then I think some point in the UK will will start changing their attitude towards sweets because the main thing about sweets is it's perceived as a, an inferior product to chocolates um, and that's because it's cheap ingredients, priced cheaply, it's branded towards children, it's an afterthought as opposed to chocolates like since Green and Blacks came in it's all about indulgence and like where it's been sourced and how it's made and the flavour and it's very different. So Jealous was going to be about creating a proper brand and something that's going to be grown up and still fun and healthier than what's currently out there. Because once I started doing the research, I realized that there's so many chemicals, the ingredients aren't very good, the packaging is is naff, it's aimed at children, it's sold in corner shops and 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 it doesn't have, like, a sexy image about it, whereas with chocolate, it's all about the indulgence and stuff. So it was my project. It was, like, coming with an idea, and I was getting more and more excited. It was, it was, like, learning about an industry that I actually found really interesting. It was... It reminded me of when I was younger, when I used to love drawing and painting. It was... But in a different kind of way. It was... It brought together aspects of loving the city in terms of, like, the financial aspects and... Thinking about business and then also looking at the branding and the design, and it's just there's lots of different things, and I was in control of putting it all together. And yeah, it was, I, I loved it. I suppose when I really got serious was I hired a branding agency, and I spent, I think it was and a half thousand pound on a logo and branding and that's quite a lot of money even though I was earning a decent amount of money but to actually put that much money into a project that wasn't that didn't involve going out or or like going on holiday or something was quite a substantial thing and originally the brand was called um, Juicy Lucy Candy Companies. and I spent the money and um, so at that point I knew okay I'm doing this and when I spoke to the branding agents, they were really excited about the project. And when I did my research as well, no one was doing anything like this. And there was no noise in the market apart from the US with Dylan's. And so, I um, yeah, it got me excited as well. That was the first time when, when you speak to, I, sp- I suppose speaking to friends, people were like, oh, that sounds interesting. But suddenly when you actually go and pay some money, that you think, oh, actually, um, there's something in here actually. People, people, are taking, starting taking, taking me seriously. I suppose. So as I was doing more, and more research, I came across a randomly a confectionery consultant. Uh, his name was David Hill, and found him and had a coffee with him. And he he recommended I go and see there's an exhibition in Germany, um, in Cologne, it's the world's largest confectionery fair. He said, like, "Look, why don't you go over there?" And have a look and see what's going on. I was like, okay, fine. And that just opened my eyes. I just, I was like shocked at the size and scale of um, of um, the confectionery market. It was huge. And it made me realise that there's definitely something in here, um, even more so. And when I look back now, I mean, it's the first time I've spoken about about that journey in quite a while. It's, you realise how little you know, at the time, Um, but it was just so exciting to actually be there amongst all these people who are selling sweets and chocolates and things like that, so when I came back, I was like, right, okay, I'm going to start doing this, and then, originally, it was like, looking at what Dylan's had done in the US, and it wasn't like I was going to try and copy what they were doing, but it was like, it gave me some sort of, like, base as to what to sort of, like, work from, and... I definitely knew it's got to be vegetarian and then also brand it in a more grown-up way, whereas Dylan's Candy Bar was aimed at children. I wanted to actually be open to adults because that's where I thought that there was um, a gap in the market and package in a more premium way um, in boxes rather than bags. And then that's when, um, I suppose, my business partner, Taz, came into the picture. So Taz, I've known since university. He also worked in the city for PwC as an accountant. We've known each other a long time, and so everyone, knew, all my friends, knew that I was trying to do something in the confectionery world. And Taz had left the city to work on a few businesses where there's um, where there's family. And then 2008 happened. A lot of the businesses failed, so he was looking for things to do. And he found an online confectionery shop, he, which he thought he'd buy and try and do something with. And so he remembered me talking about like sweets and confectionery and thought he'd give me a call to sort of see what see see if I can give him any help and advice started talking and he was like why don't we do something together and for me I thought it was a very good idea because what I realised with working in the city was I don't like the following procedures and rules and regulations and I like to just be very sort of not haphazard, but creative. And Taz is very structured. Accountant likes to follow things by the book. And I thought I need an accountant. <laughs> we also then decided to change a name from Juicy Little Candy Company because we felt it was probably a bit too childish in a way. And we were looking for names, and the name came about. One of my um, one of my friends was posing um, and doing a selfie. And everyone in the group chat was taking the mic. And basically she turned around and said, you guys are Just Jealous. And I was like, oh, that's a good name, Just Jealous. So that's where the name came from. Um, it was very random and haphazard. And originally the company was called Just Jealous. And that's where we started. We then decided to sort of incorporate the company. and Because I spent a lot of time just going around speaking to lots of different manufacturers in Germany at the trade show. I got an idea as to who we could work with, who we couldn't work with, um, and that's where I got a lot of the information. It was just just being out there, putting myself out there, speaking to lots of people, networking. There's no way I was going to make sweets myself. The temperatures of making sweets in the kitchens is just it's just not really advisable. And once we had we had our prototypes ready, we then made like this a really nice, slick sort of city style city law firm style sort of brochure and had some really good photography done and we sent those out to like the likes of john lewis selfridges and we thought right we're going to sit back and so on, so people are going to call us and sort of be excited by what we what we've got and had nothing and it was like oh, it was a bit weird so i decided to call john lewis i picked up the phone and randomly actually got through to the buyer and i fumbled my words didn't know what to say and and she put the phone down, so I was like, oh, God. So then I was like, right, okay, how do I do this? So then I had to think about what I was going to say, and then second attempt called the buyer of Selfridges, and she picked up and I explained what we did, and she's like, look, I probably have got your brochure, but I'm so busy. I get hundreds of these things coming through the post every day. I don't have time to read them. If you've got some samples, bring them down, and I'll have a look at them. So I was like, Perfect. And then on the day, we turned up to the head office of Selfridges, called up the buyer and said, look, we've got the, the samples, can you come and collect them? She's like, look, I'm too busy. You have to leave them with the postman, which is around the corner. So we walked around the corner and there was this little shabby little hut and we thought we are not leaving £200 worth of samples there. So we went and sat outside the coffee shop opposite the head office of Selfridges waiting for the buyer to come down during lunchtime. We sat there for almost four hours and she didn't come down, so reluctantly we left the, the samples with the postman. I remember the next day I was in Phoenix, coming out of Phoenix and there was a, a withheld number calling my phone and I thought, oh, it could be the bank manager or something. Um, but I picked it up, something said just pick it up. Picked it up and it was a buyer from Selfridges and that was probably one of the strangest feelings. And she was like, i have put your samples on my desk. They look really good and um, getting a lot of attention from lots of people walking by. So and at that point, I knew your case. She's obviously interested because that never happens. A buyer calling a brand unheard of. And so she decided to call us in for a meeting. And yeah, I think it was a few days later we went in and we... It felt like going into the head martyr's office in school. It was so sort of intimidating, scary. But she was lovely and... That was our first big break, first customer, and um, yeah, that's what launched Jealous into the market. We got the order from Selfridges, and I think it was two months into our three-month period. We received a massive letter document from the lawyers of Fox's Confectionery, and they were saying basically, "This is too similar to Just Brazil's," and we were like, "What?" And that was like the first soccer punch ever, and we were like, "Whoa! What do we do now?" And that was a scary, scary moment because we were just made; our boxes were about to be made. Everything was ready to go with Selfridges. So then we had to basically find lawyers to actually get involved and spent about £10,000 before we even started on trying to figure out what to do. And in the end, what came out of it was to drop the word just and keep trademark the word jealous. And that's what actually, I suppose, resulted. And it's been exciting um, because it's a better name than it was. But at the time, it was such an emotional... Emotional moment because we didn't know what to do and you're so attached to the name just jealous and we were like, oh my god it is was, was horrible, but the thing is we would have won the, the case um, But it would have cost us probably a hundred thousand pound and a year's worth of wasted uh, waste of time so the lawyers were I look just If you can trademark the word jealous do that and that's what happened. So then because of because of that Selfridges wanted to launch us in the summer of um of 2011 and because our boxes initially were going to be made in china and they'd already been ordered we had to then make another set of boxes in the uk which would cost us three times as much as what they were costing in the in the in china so that before we even started trading killed a lot of our cash um and yeah then we sort of made boxes in the UK and launched into Selfridges on the 27th of July, 2011. And it was just, it was amazing because, um, the buyer that was, that bought jealous into Selfridges had a bet with the general manager of the food buying. And he he bet her that we wouldn't actually do well. And, um, but we sold out everything within four days. It was like amazing. So that was, that was one of the key, key things. And after that, um, Half Nichols came knocking and then Whole Foods, acardo And we've not really looked back since in terms of we've always got, we've had like some of the top names in the world working with us because um, whatever we've wanted to do, we've gone and done. It's, I think, in being in business or in life in general, you've got to decide what you want and focus on that and you can you can achieve it. So the hotels came. Hotels weren't even in, in our business plan. Actually, I was doing a tasting session in Selfridges, and one of the buyers from the Firmdale Hotel Group, who was passing by, and as I mentioned, the sweets were gluten free, and he was like, "Oh, my boss is really big into gluten free at the moment." Gave me his card. I hadn't heard of Firmdale before that, and emailed him, and he was like, "Right, okay, reload really like your boxes. Can you can you get them?" for our hotel for Christmas, so we sold us some boxes, it did okay in the hotel, and then after Christmas they were like, look, okay, we can't sell any more boxes because Christmas is over, can you make us something a bit smaller for for our mini bars? And I was like, okay, fine, so we created these little tins, I put the sweets in the little tins, and we sold them to Vermdale, and then sold them to Selfridges as well, and Vermdale were doing so many of them, more than Selfridges at one point, and we were like, what the hell's going on here? So then we, I started investigating the hotel market, and realised it's huge market, mini bars, they normally have like, random brands that aren't very good, and our tins were really, really exciting, so we start, I started approaching, um, all of the hotels, and, and uh, Four Seasons was, as a result of, seeing a massive opportunity in the market, where, there's not much innovation and it's um, very slow to move for the trend so that's how four seasons came about and then re- i think it was towards the end of last year we we finally got claridges berkeley and the connaught some of the like top hotels in the world so yeah that's been uh, it's been amazing this year we are actually about to launch in the US we're, we're launching in, we've just launched in the Middle East, we're launching in Asia, um, Australia, South Africa and certain parts of Europe so we are pushing aggressively with um, with international expansion. I think um, our strategy is to to do business abroad because we've got a powerful brand, we've got a good idea, sweet taste, amazing and you, you can do business um Pretty much anywhere with the internet. I love that I can actually have control of my my freedom. I think the number one thing for me is freedom. Um, I can choose what I do when I want to do it, who, with whom I, I do that, um, set my schedules, my workflow, um, creating ideas, um, coming up with ideas and then following through. Um, Yeah, that's that's probably the main thing, is the fact that I'm in control of my life. I don't have to answer to anyone. Um, And that's what makes me happy. You realise that it's the things that money can't buy that make you happy, as opposed to the things that we get taught is the money that buys you happiness. It's um, it's the experiences, the people that you connect with, the giving back. And I've learnt that through being in business. Um, So... That's what's changed my life and that's something that will always keep with me forever. It's not been an easy ride and it still is tough. It always will be tough, I've realised. Um, I think you just become more and more thick-skinned. You learn to become more agile in terms of being able to emotionally deal with with all the struggles and become a stronger, stronger person. Not becoming bitter. Um, I think just learning from from all your experiences. And I think having a set of peers around you, networking with other entrepreneurs and business people makes a big difference on how you you realise you're not alone. And I think that's one of the biggest things that um, I think all entrepreneurs should do is as soon as they start a business is build a support system around them and not feel isolated because that's been a real sort of like... A lifesaver I suppose I think there's a lot of admiration in terms of when you leave when, pe- when you tell people I'm actually going to do this people are sort of like surprised and sort of dumbfounded that you're going to leave a stable job and do something very uncertain especially these days I think in the last few years it's become quite sexy for people to start um, a career as an entrepreneur it's okay to do that because there's quite a lot of success stories out there Um It's not frowned upon like it was before. When I do talks on entrepreneurship and starting a business, I always talk about how difficult it is because not many people talk about that. People always talk about how amazing it is. And I think you need to definitely talk about the challenges because there's not a single day that goes goes by that you think, what the hell is going on today? Some days you're like, yes, amazing. The next day could be the worst day you've had in your business. It just fluctuates so much. If I could go back, um, some of the things I've done that I think have been very important is to look at what other people are doing, to talk to other people before you've actually left your job, to do the research. And one thing I've noticed about entrepreneurs or people who have started businesses because they know how difficult the journey is, they are very open to like speaking to people. As long as there's like genuine intent of like this person actually really wants to learn. Um, most, will, most people will give like an hour here and there um, to have a coffee. So reaching out to people is so important and getting an idea as to, can I really do this? Is this really for me? Or am I just sort of like, is it glamorous being an entrepreneur and sort of saying, oh yeah, because it is so difficult and it is tough. And actually being able to talk to real people who are doing something similar or something that you find interesting Um, because finding something interesting is one thing it's when you make the commitment that is when there's a transition because then it's like actually I'm doing this and you've got to be mentally prepared for that so I don't think any two businesses are the same just like two humans are never the same I think you can't try and be like anyone else Um, you can only try and be better than you were the day before and as a person I think being in business you've got to try and improve yourself because otherwise you become stagnant and stale and so keeping yourself fit active healthy feeding yourself good stuff I think that makes such a big difference on how you how you perform as, a, as an entrepreneur and it's like managing yourself that's the key if you can manage yourself in terms of what you're feeding yourself mentally physically um, so, and with food as well it gives you that edge and then looking at what others are doing and trying to follow follow their footsteps and then trying to sort of make it so that it's your own kind of way of creating your own path.